0: Welcome to Night of the Living Geeks. If you geek out over it, we've got a podcast for it.
1: Everybody and welcome to the second episode of Soundtracks on the Sticks. Uh, my name is Chris. With me today is Jordan, same as last time. Jordan, how's it going? It is a beautiful Sunday in small Newark, Delaware. <laughs> Any sort of snow weather-wise there, or has it actually been like nice and sunny outside for you guys? It is the definition of why we need to focus on climate change because.
0: It's 60 during the day. It's going to be 33 in a couple hours. It'll drop to 19 comes the night, and then it's supposed to be 61 tomorrow. It doesn't even make sense.
1: Yeah, it's February. That's nuts. Cause yeah, we actually had a little bit of snow drop on us this morning. Weather's at 39 right now. Was at 42 I think for the highest earlier on, and then we're staying in the uh, 30s, going into 20s on Wednesday with some. Snow uh, predicted I think Tuesday prior and then to 40s and 50s over the following couple of days. But I'm not worried about that because I will be in Los Angeles by the weekend portion of things where it will be 82 degrees that Friday when I get there. Wow, yeah, we really should have a conversation about this at this point.
0: You know what's funny, starting this off talking about the weather is in 1995 over here on the East Coast, was one of the biggest blizzards we've ever had. I vividly remember this blizzard. I was, like, buried under it. I was in the snow every day. There were three weeks we didn't go to school. And that actually gave me carte blanche to kind of play a
1: lot of games on the Super Nintendo because 1995 was a hell of a year. And you say you're bad at this podcasting thing, but just talk about a transition here because we are, in fact, talking about a particular game that came out in 1995 and really what was a golden age for Super Nintendo games in general. I mean, this was the year in which we had Chrono Trigger dropped on us, Earthbound, Earthworm Gym 2, Super Mario World 2, Yoshi's Island, amongst like. It's unbelievable. You know, I have a
0: Super Mario World 2 story, actually. Mm -hmm. That game, to me, is permanently tied in with being sick. Because when that game released, I was sick, and I was um, too much personal information, but it doesn't matter. I was a premature baby, very skinny. It gets cold out here Mm -hmm. in the East Coast. I was sick all the time. So during my time when I missed school, just with this virus, that virus, Super Mario World 2 was such a good game that I actually powered through it despite being violently ill. Like, I had buckets and buckets next to me, but I did not care I was going to beat that game with the rental period that I had it for with Blockbuster, and I actually made it. So, that's like 1995? It's a good year. Kind of toughened me up a little bit, if you will. Mm -hmm. But... (laughs) I mean, I can hardly contain my excitement. Like, you're the leader here, but for yeah. whatever it's worth, this my was favorite. Mainly game. Your,
1: yeah, this was mainly your choice on the matter, and we knew we were going to have to tackle this one sooner or later. So I'm glad we're doing it now because, yeah, folks, it's Donkey Kong, excuse me, Donkey Kong Country Two that we're tagging in this one here, and with good reason. Diddy's conquest.
0: A lot of people think it's. Diddy Kong's quest. No, it's Diddy's Conquest. Get it? Like KON quest. Mm -hmm. Mortal Kombat and Donkey Kong were heavy on the puns, believe me. Indeed. But this game is legitimately my favorite video game of all time. It is a combination of nostalgia, of excellence, and it's the first game that really made me realize that the music coming out of these games was more than just background noise while I input commands. When I say this game had a profound impact on me, I mean it had a profound impact on me at a time where there was no internet to really talk about it with anyone else, Mm -hmm. which is something that, you know, I hope to get into today because... Donkey Kong Country 2, if we jump ahead a little bit, is actually one of the most revered soundtracks in history, which makes me extremely happy on the inside, considering how it made me feel back then in, ni- oh my
1: goodness, 1995, how the time flies. Yeah, indeed, a good 15, <laughs> at this point it's just, it almost feels like ancient history to a certain extent for a couple of 30-year-olds like Arlot. Well, 32-year-olds uh, specifically, but... There's
0: no radios.
1: Yeah, um, but again, it's one of those things where when sometimes it can get asked, you know, what sort of made this stand out in 1995 compared to a lot of the other games that were out there in the market for it, the soundtrack definitely has to be uh, mentioned amongst that because it built on a lot of the things that the original Donkey Kong Country did, and then just expanding on that further in, David Weiss is majorly the biggest reason for that. Uh, he had some contributions and help from Evelyn Fisher and Robin Beanland as well too, but it was Weiss that basically did a lot of the heavy lifting and just the composition of it entirely was all on him. So, uh, And we can get into that a little bit more now that we've basically told you the specific game and what we're looking at here because... Again, Donkey Kong Country 2, uh, different from things that were up during its time just because it really jumped around in terms of what it tried to do with certain genres compared to just sticking with, you know, a traditional orchestra setting or trying to venture more towards, like, your... It, rather than going in just one direction, it tried to branch off in, like, multiple directions, and a lot of tracks in the game prove as such.
0: I really feel like the... You hear it all the time, atmospheric. Uh, fits the atmosphere. I feel like Donkey Kong Country 2 was the first game to truly personify, like, the atmospheric soundtrack. And a lot of games that came out... Look, Chrono Trigger came out the same year. Chrono Trigger, which is a masterpiece of gameplay, and especially the music, uh, Yasunori Matsuda delivered probably the, arguably the greatest soundtrack ever made. However, when it comes to those style soundtracks, JRPGs, you kind of know the, I guess the flow of it, if you will. Like there's be the a battle theme, the boss battle theme, the mm-hmm. overworld theme. It, it all fits. It all makes sense. And it's wonderful, but Donkey Kong Country 2 took it to, like, the next level. Don't, the best way I can explain it is where, if you looked at a JRPG battle, and you would go, okay, this song, yeah, this is probably the song that will play here in the game. But with Donkey Kong Country Two soundtrack, it was like, if I was in this environment myself, this is the music that I would assume would play. It didn't just feel like music fitting the scene in the game. It felt like music that would fit the scene if you had stumbled on there. That's the best way I can put it. It's just unbelievable. When I th- you think pirate ship, I hear a lockjaw saga. Uh, when I think about, you know, climbing up a pirate ship, it's Mainbrace Mayhem, and uh, Like, how David Wise pulled this off it was pretty good in Donkey Kong Country, the first one, but the level of atmosphere in Donkey Kong Country 2, just from the opening uh, song, it's adventure it feels good, and then that, like, hard pirate drum kicks in and the, you know, press start screen, it just sets the tone, and it is, what a tone it sets. Pirates, seriously monkeys are going to be climbing and going to pirate ships. Like, that's the pitch for this game, but uh, who
1: would have thought,
0: right, like, that this game would deliver the soundtrack with that premise?
1: Mm -hmm. Given the sort of genres that it went all over the place, you had, you know, your big band sort of themes to it, you had a little bit of, you know, kind of your over-the-top technical, uh, techno disco, like Disco Train is a really big example of just sort of, like, how eclectic it feels compared to like a lot of what is on that soundtrack in and of itself but again that mixture uh lended lended itself to just really letting you be within that environment and almost to an effect uh even if the gameplay of Donkey Kong Country 2 isn't exactly your thing I feel that having a soundtrack like that one were. It makes you feel like you're within that environment rather than just being part of the overall uh, makings of the game. It definitely lends itself to something that we still talk about uh, to this day. And from the historical standpoint of things, I mean, David Weiss uh, did cite uh, Koji Kana's music with uh, Mario and Zelda games as part of the inspiration for it. Jeff and Tim Fallon's music from Plock, which was another Super Nintendo uh, odd gem, there as well. And your synthesizer based film soundtracks from the 1980s, which, good lord, that was a prevalent genre in its own right during that era, uh, as just sort of the influences for creating music, not just for this uh, portion, not for just this game, but for really the entirety of the Donkey Kong Country series, which three entries in total within the super nintendo and then just a the whole other universe that it expands onto. uh again it's always interesting going back into in the late 90s uh, sort of things and even for the early 90s just with the way that these guys were being able to make this sort of music with you know uh just a specific uh chip uh in this case the super nintendo spc 700 as well as you know You know, trying to work a sound similar to like synthesizers and the like, too. So to be able to do this sort of stuff with the resources at the time, it's, I think it makes it stand out even more than if it was something that was done in today's age. It's unbelievable. And I will be the first to admit that I
0: am the most musically. I, I don't know anything, right? Like, I don't even know where the F key is on a piano. I have to, like, remind myself every day. So, when I, I can name, like, kind of the chips and whatnot, the synthesizers, but I am the last person that knows how they work and what comes here and whatnot, which is, I will admit, it does kind of make me easy. I'm easily impressed. However, due to my lack of knowledge of kind of what's going on with the music, I've always bonded with music because of the way it makes me feel, which is, of course, the end goal. Uh, you know, if I, when a guitar solo is, you know, shredding, I won't sit there and be like, wow, the note switches, the technical stuff of it, I just live in the moment. And with Donkey Kong Country 2 soundtrack, you mentioned the gameplay not being for everyone, uh, which is true because it was an absurdly challenging platformer. Uh, Shigeru Miyamoto... Notoriously, actually said that the first Donkey Kong Country game wasn't very polished and it was just pretty. Remark um, he later uh, felt bad about, but Donkey Kong Country 2 to me is the definition of polished. Where I'm going with this though is that that Donkey Kong Country 2's, 2's gameplay is frantic, it's fast, it's you're searching for stuff while you're running you as fast as Sonic. It's kind of crazy, but the thing with the music is sometimes the game's music doesn't even kind of match what Gideon and Dixie are doing. When you play Mario, when you play Sonic, the music is always, it's electric, it powers you, you want to run to the beat almost, you know what I mean? You hear Green Hill Zone, you think about forward motion, and then you play Donkey Kong Country 2, and you're running, jumping, fighting, throwing barrels, doing buddy team-ups, and the music is just this serene little march, And I think that Donkey Kong Country 2 is one of those games where instead of the music uh, fitting the gameplay, David Wise took the music to fit the mood of the stages. And that, to me, that's... It doesn't sound unique now, but back then, it's just so impressive. Like... I can't it's hard to put into words the genius, and again, I'm not exactly the most musically acclimated person, but the it's hard to put the genius of that. Like Forest Interlude, right? Mm-hmm. Forest Interlude plays in the Webwoods levels and whatnot where you have to pretty much platform your head off, you're grabbing on the vines that disappear, ghost vines, you're fighting, you're blowing stuff up, you know, typical donkey throwing stuff, throwing cannons in a cannonball, but the, the song that plays is this, if you close your eyes, uh, let, a, let a nice fire, you know what I mean, get your friends around, with some marshmallows, tell stories, that's the kind of song that plays in the level. It, this is a song that would usually play at like a checkpoint or uh, a save or an end. However, it's playing during levels where you are, you know, sweating bullets because of how hard the game is. And yeah. yet, it somehow fits. That is... I can't Again, I can't even put that into words. How do you play a song that fits the environment? It does not fit the kinetic gameplay at all. However, the overall presentation it just fits so well
1: Yeah, uh, uh, Hothead Bop immediately comes to mind just given all the lava thumps, the heat balloons and just as Diddy trying to get through all that and then some uh, platformers were never my best genre so (laughs) it always took me a little while to just get used to everything and just to barely manage to get through levels at times, Uh, it's just one of those things where I need like the time and effort put into them to really kind of figure things out, but they can be fun uh in that regard, uh, as well. Um alongside that too, another word notey, uh one that just fits the environment so well and just with all the things that you're doing in a snowbound land also just deserves its proper props. Um fantastic stuff all around. But I mean, we've been avoiding this one particular fact, but there's a reason for it because it's still to this day Iconic in every way, shape, or form, and much like Eyes on Me was to us with Final Fantasy VIII in the previous episode, uh, Sticker Brush Symphony is pretty much like the defining track of not only Donkey Kong Country 2, I would say, just out of the Donkey Kong Country series overall. Uh, and I mean, this is basically the Jordan Young gushing hour at this point, so by all means. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's an intro. So.
0: Man, stickerburst symphony. Symphony. I feel like uh, a lot of times when it's 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, and you're kind of just chilling by yourself, and you want to hear some positive things, you'll typically be like, how did you know you were in love, Reddit, and read a thread about people telling how they felt, you know, their first loves or whatnot, just social positivity, stuff like that. Uh, for me, however... Whenever I want to feel magic, I listen to Stickerbush Symphony. Whenever I want to remember... Um, the good things about life, I listen to Stickerbush Symphony. Whenever I want to be eight years old again, I listen to Stickerbush Symphony. Whenever somebody asks me what the uh, greatest video game song ever composed is. I will say uh, Stickerbush Symphony. When people say, what's my favorite song of all time, I say Stickerbush Symphony. When people say, when did video game music click for you, I say Stickerbush Symphony. You can tell my life story through this track, which is... Very 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 interesting And I feel like everybody has That song However I don't know how many people have that song From a video game So you know I, I've i been giving the floor So let's take a journey When I was 7 uh, Christmas 1994 I got a Super Nintendo With Donkey Kong Country It was the coolest thing I had ever seen mm-hmm. um, I absolutely loved it And Diddy Kong I called him DD Kong because I like Diddy, like I just didn't know what it was, so I thought it was DD Kong. Um, resonated with me because I, despite my uh, ethnicity, did not grow to be a six foot five uh, basketball player like the rest of my family. So you know, me being a short kid and <laughs> at thirty two years old, five foot seven, not going to get me bigger. Uh, that kind of Diddy was, resonated with me. you know. I was also, as I said earlier, uh, smaller, you know, skinnier just because I'm premature and whatnot. It was hard to put weight on, always sick. So while Big DK was rolling doing that stuff, I preferred playing as Diddy. He was faster, cooler to me, he had a hat, red shirt, I and mean, this was the man, you know? Uh, and I just related to this little chimp because you reminded me of kind of myself so when donkey kong country 2 gets you know announced and i see that diddy is now the protagonist and he's going to go save donkey kong and he has this blonde monkey girlfriend with him right around the time let me tell you too 1995 is when I started to like light girls, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I remember her name was Teresa Miller. I was in third grade. She was in fourth grade. She walked in and I looked at her and I was like, whoa, and then boom. So like, it was almost perfect. It's like, oh man, there's a girl in this. And, um, for my, my mother celebrated half birthdays. So December 15th, 1995, I had asked her, I, asked, I wanted downtown country two for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, but on December 15th, 1995, I come home, and I'll never forget, I see not a blockbuster case, but the case of the game itself, and I'm like, it's bought, and my mom went, yeah, happy birthday, so with the speed of a thousand children, that game was slapped into my Super Nintendo, and I started it, and immediately I went, well, this is weird. Because Don't Country starts off musically with, like, you know, the, the level select screen, it's all, t- you know, the tunes and, of course, the iconic opening, dropping the blue box on Cranky and the song plays. What is this dark, like, pirate sounding music? I was confused. I really was confused. You start the game and the first stage, the song plays, it's almost as if it doesn't start, right? You know what I'm talking about, the game starts and there it is, Donkey Kong Country 2, Diddy's Conquest, and then Klump's Rump starts, but the first 30 seconds are just ambience, ambient sounds, windows creaking, wood creaking, things like that, and as you start to ramp up, the song starts to ramp up, and it becomes fun, almost. Just as you kind of get, you know, get used to the new mechanics, this is a part in the game where the music actually does match what you're doing. Yeah, which is very interesting for David Wise. You progress from that, and the next stage is called Mainbrace Mayhem. Jib Jig is the song. You're climbing. It's pirate sails, and everything just sounds like you'd expect. But I am going off about just my love for this game. The TLDR, getting to what matters, when Stickerbush Symphony first played, I put the controller down to listen to the song. I think, now, I set this up just like I took all that time to elaborate how much I was excited and how much I wanted to play this game as an eight year old. I can tell you this was, it was maybe 10 p.m. past my bedtime, but my mom was, you know, letting me kind of do my thing, and I was mm-hmm. at the end of the third world, and I get to the stage, Bramble Blast, and yeah. Sticker Symphony starts. Now, what eight-year-old would not want to just play the game? No, I put the controller down, and I went, whoa. that's was the song part. I, that is one of those things that I will remember to my last day. And I can't explain what clicked in my head, but something just hit me like, this is beautiful. This, And from then on out, I remember I would consistently, just whenever there was a Bramble stage, I would go to the Bramble stage, listen to the music, record it on my cassette tape. Uh, the 90s and play it over and over like my friends would come over and I'd play the song and be like guys isn't this amazing they'd look at me like I was crazy like what are you going crazy over it's a song from the game it's not like you know like Michael Jackson and whatever cool music the kids were doing but I was so fascinated by this song It, it didn't make sense to me I couldn't properly express myself how it was making me feel. But it made me feel like I was, not only was I duty Kong, I had seen what he's seen. Uh, maybe when I looked up, you know, I'm a big sunset guy. And whatever I would look at the sunsets, mm-hmm. it would be Stickerbush Symphony in my head. And this is by a time when, you know, having, now you can play any song you want from anything, anywhere, at any time. You know, I, how do you even get video game music Portable, you know, you can't carry my cassette player everywhere, so I would just hum Stickerbush Symphony as the sun went down every day for a while. And I have said so much, but this song is just so. It's so. There isn't a mood that this song doesn't hit. It, it's sad, it's upbeat, it's serene, but it's also a little chaotic. Is, it's atmospheric, but it also kind of is a little condensed almost. Um, it doesn't follow your traditional song structure. There is so many things that this song does. So fast forward to present day. The fact that <laughs> on Urban Dictionary, one of the top definitions is the greatest video game song of all time. If you go to TV Tropes, Uh, Donkey Kong Country 2 it's like this song on the awesome music tab it's the person that wrote it and the people that you know keep TV trips going it's like one of the best uh, constantly ranked as the best video game song ever made Uh, the covers on YouTube are endless Uh, you know Spoon the Groove and Michelle Hefey. Have, in my opinion, the best ones. You know, David Wise. He has said, you know, he's talked about it, kind of how the song came about and whatnot. That almost didn't make the game. It was supposed to be for a water level, which sounds crazy, but it also would work. I, you can't say how happy I am as a 32 year old man. Uh, when the editor had expanded to know that, okay, I'm not crazy. This song really did hit not just me, but millions of people that I'll I'll never meet. But, you know, and don't get me wrong, there's I mean, a good in other songs that do this. That's a power of music. Yeah. But Stickerburst Symphony is the song of songs, in my opinion. And if it sounds like I've hyped it up, if you've never heard it, to the point where if it doesn't hit you like Bohemian Rhapsody would in one listen, I've wasted like a full 10 minutes of your time guess what, the song is that good and it will hit that hard every single time it is unbelievable I need yeah. to breathe so you know
1: yeah yeah, they, <laughs> yeah, for sure but the interesting thing that I find is that even though you know they didn't exactly do like an entire bit of like well researched uh, articles and stuff like that, I mean the fact that there was on Rolling Stone of all things back in 2016 that there was an entire article dedicated to just Donkey Kong Country soundtrack living on through like the endless remixes that have been done out of these games and sticker brush symphony kind of being the main event of that portion where David Wise is actually talking about it and such. It's uh it just shows the profoundness and just the overall impact that this game has had uh, on many of his aspects, the soundtrack being definitely a huge one for people. I mean, we've seen the remixes out there, as you mentioned before, like Team Teamwork has done a couple of those, particularly with Donkey Country uh, 2 songs, mixing them up with hip-hop, for example, and just, I mean, all the examples are out there, and, you know, as much as we obviously have hyped St- Sticker Brush Symphony, I mean, there's still other tracks as we mentioned before forest inter- interlude bio boogie um you know it hothead hot, bop which we hit specifically on just how hard of a level it was aquatic ambience as well and just oh uh, we could be sitting here and going a track by track dissertation of it but uh, again it would take three hours really, and i'm yeah, sure yeah, nobody has that, that much time for that speaking of that <laughs> rolling stone
0: article though i mean the direct quote uh from that rolling stone article David Wise, the legendary composer behind Donkey Kong Country 2's music, had an act for contorting the primitive Super Nintendo sound chip into exotic shapes. Stickerbush Symphony was his opus. A dreamy, forlorn New Age ballad unlike anything we typically heard in console mascot games. If that quote doesn't, I, I mean, you know, it, there it is right there. And something that I, I will say, you know, from a technical standpoint, needing to do the gameplay and whatnot, perhaps the Donkey Kong Country games are not the flawless platformers with the impeccable level design. You can there, there you know, there's a million arguments to be made. However, what I find incredible is that it is universal. Don't when you say Donkey Kong Country. People think about the music before anything else. What other video game series besides Final Fantasy, which, keep in mind, that really started in uh, 97, 99, after the initial Donkey Kong Country one, what video game series that you mentioned that isn't supposed to be music, like DDR, mm-hmm. it's Donkey Kong Country, like Persona possibly. And that persona will definitely be something we cover in future episodes. Yeah. But it, when you look at Mario, Link, these you know iconic Nintendo franchises, Donkey Kong, you think about you know the characters and whatnot, but Donkey Kong music, man, that to me is with. Dare I say, that Donkey Kong country is one of the, the I will not say the biggest, my bias would shine through But, has a video game series ever done so much for video game music? Oh, the OC Remix platform was pretty much started off the back of Donkey Kong Country. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I think just a lot of it comes from being one of those games in its timing with the console that it had. And pushing the boundaries the way that it did. It was kind of a display of. This is what we can do with the system. And how far we can push. These sorts of things on. Soundtracks in which you can also argue. Chr- Chrono Trigger did that to an extent. But while using. You know the prototypical JRPG. Formula and. Nailing the themes that it needed to nail. But arguably nowhere near as experimental. As DKC2 ended up being. And then from there, you obviously expand into the 32-bit world where Sony became basically the king of this shit, quite literally. Um, and from there, just kind of an evolution in terms of how soundtracks were treated and just uh, gaming music in general. You can go to just about every single game and find out maybe one or two things out of it that somebody else later down the line saw oh, this is a cool idea, and then kind of ran with that and expanded it as well because that's, thinking think a way, society always works in that perspective no matter what oh, hobby or aspect that you're looking into. But I think with Donkey Kong Country 2, the biggest aspect we can take away from it is that it's still a 2D platformer that the story was simplistically about, you know, Two monkeys trying to rescue their friend from a douchebag co- yep. crocodile, and <laughs> bananas much. in the process.
0: Hey, and that douchebag crocodile, King Krrull, has some of like crocodile. Croco- I can. You know what's funny? Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny but I can never say it when I was a kid. So I would always just be like the crocodile song. <laughs> uh-huh. But let me t- like. I think current day when King Karul was announced for Smash Ultimate. And all the hype came in. People, the first thing people were saying, I cannot wait to hear his boss themes in Smash. Yeah. Once again, don't, you cannot talk about these Donkey Kong characters without the music. When Diddy got added to Super Smash Brothers Brawl, the first thing the world said was, we better get a Sticker Bros Symphony remake. And we, of course we did. It was awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's like, But that too, you know? Like, even fighting King Cruel in that game, the final boss theme is, if you, i am just paint the picture. You are on a flying crocodile ship. I know, it sounds weird. There is a giant crocodile who thinks he is a pirate. He has a blunderbuss. And he's shooting it at you repeatedly. And your boy Donkey Kong is tied up and hung above. The, that sounds ridiculous. It sounds like one of those things where the song would be chaotic and then there'd be a little pirate jib in there and sound menacing. Maybe even a little uh, electric guitar. And sure enough, that is what David Wise somehow delivers and it's perfect. I, I The genius of this man knows no bounds. Even a ludicrous situation like that, it, he nails it
1: and it's it's weird in a way because i think with um we're talking at this point probably crocodile cacophony i think is the way that you say that word uh and then donkey kong rescued as well too as part of it as well but it's also one of those things too where like arguably enough and while we're not diving further into this you know it's a track that is good but that it's uh almost like Surpassed outright with Donkey Kong Country 3's like final uh, boss theme as well too. So again, it's that demonstration of things that were built on the back of this soundtrack and then expanded on later down the road with Donkey Kong Country 3 and then Lord knows you know everything else that we've seen and back to another point as well i think the main reason why i think most people at this point who have played video games for a long time want their characters in super smash bros i would have to say at least 40 percent of that is because they want to see what they do with the music in terms of remixes and the like um lord knows with uh joker getting announced from persona 5 that we got a couple of remixes out of five soundtrack as well as you know some arrangements from three and four off of the back of that as well. Terry Bogard got a couple of SNK tracks. A lot of SNK <laughs> tracks got released. A lot. For that which... That astounded me. And uh, Lord knows at some point or another I would love to dive into one of these King of Fighters games and just break that shit down accordingly. But, um, <laughs> King, of, King of Fighters 2002 is still the one. I don't care. I, I mean, for, for me, I'm more of a 98 person, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but just... Again, Donkey Kong Country 2 just is something that has delivered in a way that games during that era hadn't tried out before, and that I think made an impact on everything that came on to afterwards, even if it was just in a very small way, and even if it was arguably more so community-driven than developer-driven, if that makes any sense. Because as you mentioned, over DLC remixes and just... uh, everything else that has gone into it um, as well after that and how it's basically lived on to current um, just pop culture, if you will. You know, when you
0: say current pop culture, I still sometimes struggle to like understand that video game music can be considered pop culture, but it is. It's... <sighs> You know, when you're you're a young kid, and you always are like, one day, wouldn't it be great if this happened? And it's this just ridiculous thought in your eight-year-old brain that, like, all logic dictates will never be. And, like, it actually went ahead and happened. Because, turns out, I wasn't the only kid that loved this stuff you, a completely different country, were the same. Mm-hmm. And through this device called the Internet, before we know it, we all kind of grew up. And now uh, there is, you know, we said it in the first episode, and I'll say it again. <laughs> it still blows my mind that um, you put, say, uh, Master Chief, Sora, uh, some Donkey Kong, some Pokemon, maybe Mario and space. Mm -hmm. on a concert in a 25,000-seat arena, and it'll sell out. That's crazy. But here we are. You know, the fact that uh, film scores have now, and this is something that's relatively recent, uh, a lot of film, uh, people that score films are like video games are actually more fun to score than
1: film. How Mm -hmm. crazy is that? Yeah. And, again, the fact that video games alone these days are, like, earning enough attention and can command the sort of thing where you can get film-esque scores uh, out of it as well. And, uh, Lord knows, because I think you and I have both had this on the list, but when we jump into, say, like, a God God of War, for example, at some point or another, boy, that's going to be something. Just... Uh, again we we've got a lot of ideas at this point we're hoping that you guys do stick with us throughout them uh for sure but uh again we've emphasized this point enough times but uh yeah Donkey Kong Country 2 was just essential during its own time to just expand a lot of ideas going forward trying something that was different from the norm and I think overall we just benefited from it
0: it really shaped a generation in a great many ways because, uh, you know, you look at just the amount of copies of Donkey Kong Country that you it, it, it did, I believe it's the sixth best-selling Super Nintendo game. And it wasn't a pack-in, so Super Mario World and Kong Country 1, cheating. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the sixth best-selling game. And, hey, perfect example, right? Here Live. Here Live, I just typed in and the old Google train, Stickerbush Symphony popular, right? So I mm-hmm. read a post on June 15th, 2017. <laughs> Funny, June 15th. That was my 30th birthday. And I go. quote this user, E-Brazil. Hopefully, we won't get copyright chicken. <laughs> which, I'm just kidding. The Donkey Kong Country theme track is the greatest work of art ever created. Stickerbush Symphony is also the most beautiful song of all time. No further discussion of this fact is necessary. You may now delete all of the playlists and artists from your musical devices. Honorable mention, Disco Train, Flight of the Zinger, Aquatic Ambience. You may now turn off the Reddit. Obviously tongue-in-cheek, however, it's this song and and the great part is the comments are basically like I agree. It's It's one of those like nerdy mic drops. It's like people are like well, I mean, if you're going to drop the mic like that, at least drop *Stickerburst Symphony from it, right? Donkey Kong Country 2, just. Even just saying the name of the game. And it's funny because when I say the name of my favorite game of all time, Donkey Kong Country 2, before Diddy and Dixie's sprites pop up in my head, I hear sounds from it. Usually when you like Final Fantasy 7, in your head right now you probably just saw uh, Aerith get stabbed or spoilers or, uh, you know, the opening bombing mission and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Final Kong Country 2, though, the first thing I see is nothing. Actually, with this game, I hear first, and I think that is the highest compliment that can be paid to a game that is Legitimately, my favorite game ever made.
1: Yeah, and I think, if anything, this is as good of a note to close this out on, as any. Uh, again, can't thank you guys enough for uh, listening to us here for the second time on our Spectrum Defense. For us, if you need to get in touch with us at any point or have any suggestions on what we should cover next. You can tweet us on Twitter at Sounds on Sticks. Uh, somehow that tag was still available when I went to look for Twitter names to set this up under. And it worked out that way, which perfect. Uh, if Twitter doesn't really work for you, like for example, we know here specifically Jordan's not a Twitter guy in any way, shape, or form. You can also email us at any given point at Soundtracks on the Sticks at gmail.com with your suggestions, comments, concerns, I guess, if there are any out of two episodes who knows maybe we pissed off somebody on the internet in the process of doing this uh, it, it wouldn't be that surprising but <laughs> outside of that Jordan any other words for whoever might be listening out there um i guess just thank you uh
0: you know if like i said this is a very personal uh episode for me and it's a very i am a what's dare I say well-adjusted adult, if you will, right? Like, I was able to have an you know, interesting social life, uh, you know, do good with work and whatnot, uh, grow up to be a decently well-adjusted uh, adult. And it's so great that the constant, yeah, you know, you're riding your brain with those things, or you know, Jesus, sit there and play games all day. It is so great to know that, like, not only did those games not drop my brain, not only did I, you know, not end up being a not-well-adjusted adult, it's celebrated now. And Donkey Kong Country 2 and the soundtrack is celebrated dare I say universally within the gaming community uh, Snake Pass uh, you know people were excited about Snake Pass because David Wise was composing it mm-hmm. you know like that's and it's off the strength of Donkey Kong Country it's you know like when John Williams scores something you know everybody knows John Williams Star Wars and David Wise and Donkey Kong Country too is like that name in gaming from, I'm not going to sit here and pretend it's one of the most popular games ever made it's, it is it, it is popular but it's certainly not it's not Grand Theft Auto right? it's not Final Fantasy but musically it is and nothing nothing warms my soul more than to know that of all the nonsense that an 8 year old could come up with in 1995 that I was actually on point when I said Donkey Kong Country 2 and especially this song that plays on Bramble Blast before it was even officially titled publicly at least is incredible If, uh, if tomorrow is my last day I will go into this earth smiling knowing that Stickerbush Symphony is going to live and live and live and live and live wow I love that game wow I love that song yeah. I can't say anything else
1: uh, good of a note to end on as any guys uh, thanks again for sticking with us we'll be back to you at some point pretty soon with episode 3 and most likely cover up something that's a little bit Off the usual beat, but something that excites us nonetheless. So thanks a lot. We'll see you next time.
0: This has been a Night of the Living Geeks production. For more information and content, visit notlg.com.